Hey listeners, I hope you are staying healthy. And safe. And sane. And sane. During these crazy, crazy times. Um, Blair and I have been largely silent until now. Uh, mostly because we're not that good with words, as I'm sure you've noticed if you listen to this podcast <laughs> very often. Um but that said, we uh, we do have a lot of very strong feelings and concerns about the racism in our country, uh, particularly with the recent events that have uh, sparked outrage and protests throughout the country. Um, and one that just happened last night or the night before last um, in Atlanta at a Wendy's. I mean... This shit has just got to stop. It's it's just mind-boggling. Absolutely crazy. And so, first of all, uh, we just want to offer our deepest apologies to all African Americans. Um, we are truly, deeply sorry for the suffering that you have endured uh, because of our whiteness. And if you are not ashamed of your whiteness right now, you need to do a little bit of soul searching because we caused this. We've let it continue all these years and um, we, can, we can do better. We need to... Uh, we need to do better. We need to change our mindset as privileged white Americans and we need to make we need to fix this we need to fix it because we caused it we caused it and we perpetuated it and we benefited from racism and the sooner we educate ourselves and figure out how to fix this the better um it's so sad to me to think that we are in now in 2020 and not much has changed at all um the bill that was before congress i think last week a lot of the language that was in it was from a bill dated back to 1921 to end racism and it didn't pass so it's just it's just really really sick um and you think about the history and there's a really great video that i posted to my personal facebook page um where a woman named kimberly latrice jones talks about how racism and how life for african-americans has been for the past 400 years, including what happened in Tulsa, what happened... um, Everywhere. Everywhere. So give that a watch. We're going to put a link to that video um, in the description of this podcast. But the analogy that she uses of... A monopoly game is just so powerful and so outrageous that if you are not outraged, but true, 
But if you aren't outraged as a white person and don't understand how that applies and what a great analogy it is, then you need to wake the fuck up. Yeah. That is a problem. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm sure that every single African-American person has PTSD. Like, how could you not? Given all of the horrible things that they have been through, it's just, it's just crazy that it's gone on this long. And I'm just going to share my story. Um, I grew up in a, a town just across the river from Louisville, Kentucky, and um i it was a it was a huge neighborhood all white people um and my dad happened to be a firefighter and his um the station was like just at the end of uh a park that was behind our neighborhood um but i remember one day my friend's dad came knocking at the door and uh, my dad wasn't home because he was working and my mom answered the door and, it, and he asked my mom to sign a petition to keep out this black family that wanted to purchase a home. And my mom said, absolutely not. I will not sign that. Um, now my mom doesn't corroborate this part of my story, um, but I remember it specifically because um, the man said, well, I'll just come back when your when your husband gets home. And that's just not something you say to my mom. Like <laughs> I remember thinking Mr. Bostock's about to get a black eye or get slapped or something. Um, so <clears throat> my mom said, you know, you don't need to come back. We're not signing that petition. Um, and so luckily no one signed the petition. And so this really wonderful black family moved in. Um, and about a month later, I, I think I was probably six or seven years old. I was teaching myself how to ride my bike and I had, uh, training wheels on and somehow I'm super clumsy and somehow I managed to fall over on this, this new family's, um, mailbox and cut my head open. All I remember is blood streaming down my face and somebody picking me up and handing me off to my mom. So I go to the hospital, 11 stitches, 12 stitches, I don't know. I don't know how many stitches because I feel like I exaggerated that number for a while. <laughs> um, but anyway, so it was Jasper um, who had moved in, the African-American family. It was Jasper and his wife, Cynthia. Jasper had ran out and put a handkerchief on my head and handed me off to my mom. And so my grandmother said, we, we need to buy him some new hankies because you ruined his hanky with your blood. So we go to the store and we buy him some handkerchiefs and I take him. Uh, and I'd never actually met them or had an, uh, the opportunity to talk to them until now. And so they uh, invited me in, and I remember thinking they were the most stylish and put-together people I'd ever seen. Um, he was always very well-dressed. He was a mortician, and Cynthia was a, a housewife. But she, her nails were perfectly done. She, her hair was perfect, beautifully dressed. Like They were just the coolest, nicest people ever. 
And so a couple weeks go by, and um, as I mentioned, my dad was a fireman, and we could actually hear his truck when it would leave the station, and we would run outside and, and wave to him. And I got to the point, what me and my siblings did when we were little, we could distinguish a fire truck from a ambulance and a police based on the sound of the siren. So we knew if we were going to see my dad or not. So this was in the middle of the night. I hear my dad's truck leave the station. And I, of course, it was the middle of the night, so I wasn't going to run out and wave to him. Um, but I was laying in my bed, and then the siren stopped, like, right in front of our house. And I'm like, wow, that's weird. And so I get up, because I was super nosy, and uh, my mom was, like, at the door, and my dad came over, and they were talking, and mom was like, just go back to bed. And um, I could see the lights flashing, you know, in my window. And so then the next day, um, I asked my mom what had happened, and the KKK had burnt a cross in their front yard, in Cynthia and Jasper's front yard. And so I walked over to their front yard and looked at it, and it was just this giant charred cross in their front yard. And I was young, I, I was young, but I, I knew enough to know that that meant that hateful people did not like the fact that African Americans lived there. And it was just so insane to me. And to, to know that this shit is still happening and that African Americans, Americans can't even let their kids go outside without worrying that they're going to, they're going to get killed. And I mean, to put this into context and not to age you, but we're talking about the early seventies yeah, and to put that into historic context, that's, that was less than 10 years after the first segregated black student went to an elementary school. Yeah. It's just unbelievable. And so, you know, right now, like, what the fuck to do about the police? I mean... That... I, one I of our, feel like it all has to change. It, oh, it must. It must change. And... One of our friends put it really uh, well. He said, um, "He said, you know, they're saying that not all police are bad apples, but they need to prove it. If you're not a bad apple, you need to prove it because if you're complicit, if you're standing by and watching some your colleague holding his knee on someone's throat for eight minutes and 46 seconds until he is dead, you're just as bad as him. I mean... And if you're shooting somebody in the back when twice, they're running away. when they're like, running what? away just because they didn't pass a field sobriety test... And they had his car there. It's not like they wouldn't be able to find him. And who are they? They're supposed to be protectors. They aren't the judge and the jury and the executioner. That The whole system needs to change i mean it's all really really messed up and it, and it has to change 
and and that bitch in Central Park that just blows oh my, my mind that that woman would weaponize her whiteness against a black man like when she that, was clearly in the wrong how's that not a hate crime like how is that not how is she not fined or in jail oh, it just makes me sick to see that video to for her to like she knew exactly what she was doing i'm going to call the police and tell them that a black man is attacking me what the hell yeah uh, it just makes me sick um Back in June of last year, I actually wrote an email to the Columbus Foundation because I'm super fond of the work they do. They Mm -hmm. do really good work. And I thought, who better to partner with to figure out reparations? Like, if we can't do it on a national level, let's at least do it on a local level. And And if not on an individual level, at least on an institutional level. So... um, he wrote back, and this is part of what he, he said, um, and this is from uh, Dan Sharp at the Columbus Foundation. He said, the philanthropic field struggles with the direct response via, via a reparations fund and stepping into a role that many indeed think should be a government response. That field is, however, having success at the deliberate focus on equity within our work. This prioritization is important as it educates and puts philanthropic dollars at work to address systemic racism and its impact on historically oppressed peoples in the U.S. So they're doing a lot of thoughtful work, um, and there are uh, places that you contribute to. You can contribute to um, at the Columbus Foundation that help um, people of color. But you know, I feel like reparations are long overdue. Um, I don't know exactly what it will look like, but I think it should definitely include uh, forgiveness for all student loans for all African-Americans. I think that it should be free tuition, college tuition for all African-Americans. I think that they should get zero interest or extremely low interest on mortgage rates for either the life of a 30-year loan or at least half of it because of how we have put every possible obstacle in their way so that they are not successful. And I'm just going to throw this in there. I feel like it should include Native Americans as well. Oh, yeah. We treat them like shit, too. But um, I think I'm just right saying, now, yeah. I, I know that there's, there's a focus. And, and, of course, you know, we have to talk about Black Lives Matter because that has to change. But there are other minorities who have also suffered at the hands of privileged white people. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the whole uh, taking down the Confederate uh, statues and um, all of that, I I 100% think that should be done. But I think that they should be placed in a museum along with the Confederate flag. And it should be uh, the racist museum and we should use it as a learning tool for all people how not to be. And I think the Confederate flag should be outlawed just like the swastika is outlawed in Germany. Absolutely. Um, But I think that we have to remember these assholes because 
just uh, you know we can't we can't forget. No, we can't forget the history, and there should be required reading in schools about racism and about the history in America, and how you know the the story about Tulsa. Like right. I didn't even know that story until like two years ago, because I was listening to NPR. I think it was like a This American Life or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you had said you didn't know about it. Until watching the Watchmen series on HBO. So, I mean, these are things that um, that we should educate our, ourselves about. And the uh, National Museum of African American History and Culture, if you go to their website, they have some really wonderful tools on how to not be a racist asshole and other things (laughs) and how to teach your children. Um, I think it's a real shame that some people are not including their kids in the protests and they're they're not talking about this with them. Um, I mean, you know, you want to be, your conversations be age appropriate, but um, you're just perpetuating the problem of racism if you're not teaching your children young. And it has tools on there to, t- to teach you how to talk with your children. And a really important point that, that they make is that it is not enough to not be racist anymore. We have to be anti-racist. We have to fight together against racism. Yeah. And I'm very, very proud of the protesters, and they have been protesting tirelessly, and I'm proud. For more than two weeks now. Yeah, and I'm proud of the people who are supporting the protesters, Um, really annoyed by the police, um, and by the news reports that say that police are only attacking uh, bad protesters. That's not true. We were there. And there was no one being violent or out of line. And they just indiscriminately started pepper spraying people. Completely unprovoked. So, please, you need to get your shit together. Um, But uh, I think that we need to ask ourselves, what are we going to do when the protests end? What are we going to do? How do we make the change? How do we help the entire community and the government change to end systematic racism and to make things right and to make things right we do need to make things right well it's heavy but i think it's an important conversation and this is the thing it's hard to talk about this but it's it's a fact and it's something that we all need to now deal with yeah. Lean into the discomfort. Yeah. Talk about race. Racism, I mean. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, listeners. We hope that you will do your part to help end racism in this country. It has to be done. It has to be done. We have the power of our voice, our pen, and our purse to affect change. You can make a donation to Yes, We Can Columbus. That would be yeswecancolumbus.org. You can also make a donation to the Columbus Foundation or one of our near and dear favorites, the Hardy Mm -hmm. Center. Definitely write your mayor, call city council, and get out and vote in November. 
Yeah, and also if you can encourage city council and the mayor's office to provide some sort of tax incentives to grocery stores so that they'll open up grocery stores and food deserts. I don't think that people realize how many food yeah. deserts um, there are in this city and uh, and banks. There are a lot of the uh, minority areas don't have banks, which is just insane. Right, right. Another thing we can do is shop at Black-owned businesses. Absolutely. And there are several lists online that I've seen where you can find out, you know, where to shop. And now, you know, with all of the COVID-19 stuff that's going on and this is compounding it, a lot of small businesses are struggling. Yeah. So, I know Columbus Monthly has a list of small, uh, a business, minority-owned businesses. So. Yeah. All right. We can do this. Yeah. Cheers. We have to. Yep. Cheers. Cheers.